So I'm out for a walk with the dogs here this, this evening and I thought it'd be a good place to record this uh, part of my message here today. I heard a pastor one time in a conference, I believe his name is Andy Stanley, he said, your, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Meaning that, that where, you, where you're actually headed determines where you're going to wind up, not where you want to wind up. I remember the first time I went away with a group of students as a new youth pastor, and we went to camp and hiked the Appalachian Trail near Annapolis Rock. It's a cliff outside Hagerstown. It has a beautiful view of the valley there. I'd never been there, and I thought it'd be a good fun place to take some kids. It was probably a, a two-mile hike from our campsite to the cliff, and along the way we met some pretty interesting people, but I had no idea what we were getting into. I remember talking to one old-time hiker that you know, he said it was probably his 12th time to hike the trail. He said, you just get on it and start walking. It's that easy. Oh, well, if only it was that easy. We got to the cliff and took some time appreciating the view. And the kids, of course, they're ready to leave. You know, it rained and it snowed. The sun was out then, and uh, but the temperature was falling. It's time to head back the same way we had come, the same two, three miles that we traveled. As you might expect, the kids, they wanted to get a head start. They didn't want to wait for us old folks, right? They asked if they could go on back, and, and I said, of course, but, but do you know the way? And they said, yeah, of course we do. We just go back the way we came in reverse. Well, exactly. Go ahead. All was fine. We made it back without much excitement. Then I realized the kids weren't there. I realized that, that the trail they were on would have led them right to the camp, but they went the wrong direction on the trail. One trail that went in two directions. As I told you, it wouldn't be that easy, right? In life, we're often presented with choices all the time. Choices that we get to decide which way to go. Some of them are easy to pick out which way is best. Oftentimes, though, it's not so clear. I mean, it's not always just go uphill or downhill. Sometimes the choices are as confusing as the right trail in the woods. Just like the kids, they didn't know how far off away from their destination that their trail had taken them until they got way on down the trail. Today I'm going to ask us to consider a choice that we make on a regular basis. Choices that, uh, one, one choice that leads us where we want to go and one choice that leads us farther and farther away from it. Remember, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. So my question for us today is, which direction are we going? Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for how you're going to speak to us today. Praise you, God, that you are good and your mercy never ends. We love you, Lord, and ask you to speak to us today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Join me in, in Genesis chapter 4 as we begin here. I'm not going to read it all today. I trust you to do that on your own. There's a lot in the story that we're not going to be able to touch on that I believe if you're willing, if you're following along with the readings in your own study, God will speak to you. Genesis 4, when we read it, starts this way. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to another brother, to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now remember, these are our ancestors, right? The firstborn, the ones experiencing the Garden of Eden for the first time. The world outside of the Garden. Think how different that would be from the way their parents, Adam and Eve, had experienced life. Imagine the stories they talked about as they sat around their living room. Boys, you may not believe this, but your mom and I, we used to walk with God, and the mosquitoes didn't bite. 
no morning glories grew in our watermelon patches. Believe it or not, boys, the sheep, we didn't even have to protect them from lions. I know, the, the kids were probably thinking more like, Hey, Dad, why did you name that a hippopotamus? They had, they, all, they had heard great stories about their time with God, good stories, but stories from another time, a time that they really couldn't imagine. See, we see Cain as a farmer, Abel the shepherd. Cain toils the ground like his father Adam. Abel keeps the flocks. Now, spoiler alert, if you hate spoilers, just sing the alphabet song or something here for a couple of minutes. See, Hebrew scholars, they think that their roles into caring for creation is the root of the problem here in the story of Genesis 4. Cain, the farmer, a simple farmer, and, and Abel, the, the shepherd, the noble shepherd. Now, if you're Jewish or you're familiar with the teachings of the Bible, it certainly gives us a hint to how things are going to play out in the story. Because all throughout the Bible, heroes have always been shepherds, protectors, watchmen, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Jacob, on and on. Shepherds were identified as the one doing the Lord's work. Now, come on back if you're worried about me spoiling the story. Two sons, one a farmer, one a shepherd. Genesis 4, 3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought forth the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought forth an offering with the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And there have been all sorts of attempts to explain that, like, what was wrong with Cain's offering? People have said it wasn't the best. His, his, it wasn't his first fruits. It was just some of his harvest. Another explanation is that he didn't give a blood offering like Abel did. Both of these, I think, are, are attempts to square with what's happening in the story with requirements that are given later in Scripture. To this point, there is not a requirement for an offering. That's the other thing. This was an offering, not a sacrifice. Even in, in Jewish custom, an offering was very different from, from, an, uh, from a sacrifice. It's true that often a sacrifice included the shedding of blood or first fruits, but an offering doesn't normally have that expectation. I mean, there are grain offerings and oil and wine offerings. What we do know is that Cain went first with the fruit of his harvest, and his brother followed with the choice portions of the firstborn of his flock. His little brother had given a better offering, an offering that was found more acceptable by God, while Cain's was not. What, but I don't believe it was because of his offering he gave, but because of the heart he gave it with. In fact, Hebrews 11.4 tells us, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. This isn't the first time, or the only time in Scripture, that an offering is is considered better than another. Remember, if you would, in Luke 21, when a widow is, Jesus and the disciples see a widow coming to give her offering, and she puts in two copper coins. Jesus says that she gave more than anyone else because she gave out of her faith. I mean, think about it. Did God need their offering? Does God really need our offering? What's the point of giving God an offering anyway? It's a chance to brag? I hope not. When we give out of our love for God, our offering is an act of worship. And that was the problem with the direction Cain was starting down. His heart wasn't in his worship. But Cain didn't realize didn't realize he was headed in the wrong direction. He thought everything was fine. And honestly, when you and I look at the offerings they gave, we would think they did a pretty good job. They gave out of what they had. Their offering represented what they produced. But as Paul wrote in Corinthians, my conscience is clear. 
But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges. That's a good reminder to us. How we feel about our offering isn't the point. Just because we don't feel we're headed in the wrong direction doesn't mean we aren't headed to a bad place. What Cain thought about his direction wasn't what was important. It was an offering to God. So the question is, what did God think about it? And God didn't approve. Why not? No, because Cain's heart wasn't there. He was more concerned that his brother's offering was better than his. But Cain, I mean, God didn't leave Cain's, didn't write him off at this. In verse 6, God says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. God doesn't leave his offering alone. He uses it for a teaching moment. He corrects Cain and gives him a chance to, to fix his heart. But rather than acknowledge that his heart is in the wrong place, that he's failed to give an offering out of his faith in God, instead he allowed his anger to grow. God warned him, you can control how you respond here, Cain. Cain, you still have a choice. Cain, which direction are you going to choose? Your anger is going to take you somewhere you don't want it to want to go, Cain. But you don't have to go there. Have you ever had that happen to you? Has the Lord ever impressed on you the right thing to do, but instead you chose to save face, to be right, to stay strong? I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to help. You see, this is all about our willingness to do what pleases God knowing which way we should go, and still getting to choose to go that way. In rebellion, though, Cain accepts his sin. He chooses to stay on the path that his anger has set him on. And the path of anger and resentment will always lead us away from God. You probably know the next part of the story. You know, In anger, he set his heart on a direction, and that took him to actually murder his brother and bury his body in an attempt to cover up the sin. And then when confronted by God about it, instead of humbling himself and admitting his guilt, he responds with the smart tongue of rebellion. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Now, now look where Cain is going, right? He started out with, in this chapter seeking to honor God, but jealousy took over his heart. It led him to fight and kill his brother, bury the body and trying to hide. And now we're confronted by God. He denies even any responsibility for his brother. He began with good intentions, but look how far he's gone. He doesn't even see it, like those kids on the trail. Most people don't intend to be on, that lost either. It's just one decision after another after another. And before you know it, they look around, and they just complain about the world is getting harder on them when it's all the fault of the direction of their life. I think people all the time who are on that trail to destruction, they don't even realize that, that changing their path is as simple as stopping and turning around. It takes a bit of courage, though, to admit you're wrong. So here we have God, knowing what had been done in the heart that had committed the sin, he proclaimed judgment on Cain. Now you're under a curse, he said, and given, uh, driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. So he was a farmer, and the, his way of living was becoming a curse for him. It was to be his frustration to find a place where he could do what he knew how to do. And this gets his attention. My punishment is more than I can bear, he says. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth 
and whoever finds me will kill me. It got his attention, but it didn't bring him to repentance. All he saw was the weight of his punishment. Ever been there? Being sorry for getting caught more than for what you had done? That was Cain. He had ample opportunity to turn around, but he wasn't. But but he was in rebellion, and, and his heart couldn't or wouldn't turn back. But even in this time of judgment, God does what God is becoming known for. Even for the hard-hearted, even for the murderer, even for the rebellious child, God is graceful. He marks Cain for his protection, declaring in verse 15, Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Well, maybe finally Cain will turn around in response to God's grace. We are all sort of hoping that that's what's going to happen, but that doesn't happen. He goes off under a curse to live out his days and die. His direction, not his intention, had determined his destination. Then Adam and Eve were told in verse 25, have another son, Seth. And in verse 26, Seth has a son named Enosh. And read that. At the time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. You see the difference? Seth was born into a world of sin, just like Cain and Abel, but rather than stay on the trail, when Seth's son was born, people began to seek out God again. Adam and Eve had walked with God. The family had seen what happened to Cain and Abel, how far they'd gone. When Seth's son, people began to be aware of the impact of sin on their life and on their world. I'm not saying that everyone was perfect. In fact, they were far from it, as we're going to see as the story goes on. But with Seth and his son's generation, people began to call out to God. It wasn't about their intentions. They were changing the direction of their life. It's almost like the world was being reset through Seth. At least the path of God was being sought. Look at chapter 5. This is the written account of Abraham's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When God had lived, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. No Cain, no Abel here. It's as though that part of the past is being rewritten. Because men are now seeking the Lord. The path of Cain is no longer the way of man. Chapter 5 lays out the generations of Adam through Seth. And we see something very powerful here in these pages. You see, the Bible, in the Bible, sometimes numbers represent things, spiritual concepts. Seven is one of those. It refers to a completeness, a, a, an end of a cycle. Think of the seven days of creation. Now look back at the seventh generation of Adam and see what's happening. And back in chapter 4. Lamech, the seventh generation from Adam through Cain, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words, I have killed a man for wounding me, I've killed a young, for, young man for injuring me. If Cain was avenged seven times, let Amech seventy-seven times. He's saying if God was going to avenge Cain seven times, that's nothing. Anyone comes after me, it'll be seventy-seven times. It's like if they feared God, they sure as heck better fear me. But you hear the pride in his words? It sounds a bit like something his ancestor Cain would say, doesn't it? There has been no turning towards God for Cain's ancestors. It, it appears Cain has set them on a, the same path. That's the fruit of Cain. Inherited as his own, his sense of direction. A life of pride, resentment, sin. Compare that to the seventh generation for, through Seth. Genesis 5, 22. 
after he became the father of Bethuselah. Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then was no more because God took him away. You see that? Enoch didn't die. He was walking with God one day and he was with God the next. Enoch was one of only two people in scripture who were said to have never faced death. How did he walk with the Lord? Well, it started back with Seth's son, Enosh, when people began to call upon the Lord. Seth's ancestors, while not perfect, shared a history of seeking God. Even though they didn't all walk with him, they were seeking him. And that's where walking with him starts, seeking. We aren't perfect either, but we have the same choice of how to respond to the sin in our lives. We can call out to God, or we can continue in sin. Whenever God reveals sin in our lives, he, he can take that as, as a call to turn back to God from our sin, to, to make a better choice than that, well, the one that Cain refused. And who knows? Years from now, there may be some great-great-grandson or great-great-granddaughter who's walking with the Lord, all because you chose to fix your heart on the Lord. Think about that. It can start today. It can start today with a simple prayer of surrender, asking God to, to reset your life after him. Why don't you join me in prayer? Lord, <clears throat> thank you for this word that you delivered to us uh, through the book of Genesis. God, that, that it's about the direction of our life to be set after you is going to determine where our life winds up with you. Father, we ask that today for many of us, this is a chance to reset. We've gotten off track. We've started to wander. Draw us back to you, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for receiving us for open, with open arms. That we're never too far away. That you're never, you stop calling us back home. Lord, we give you our life. Use us for your glory, Lord. Use us. Thank you for forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we might live for you. That we might glorify you here in this world. We love you, Father. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Use us. We love you. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you in all that you do today. All right? We invite you, if you would, to join me in our benediction. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I am, I believe that God has put... Join me in my, our benediction, if you would. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe that God needs me there. Wherever I am, I believe that God has put me there, that he has a purpose for me being there. Christ, alive in me, seeks, wants to do something through me no matter where I am. I believe this, and I go in his grace and his love and his power. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Hope to see you soon. All right? Bye-bye.